Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and a special conversation with Congressman Tim Ryan, representing Ohio's 13th Congressional District, a candidate for president in 2019, and maybe a candidate for U.S. Senate from Ohio in 2022. We come to you on Tuesday, February 9, the beginning of what promises to be another busy week for members of Congress. It's the first day of the Senate trial of former President Donald Trump, of course, who was already impeached by the House of Representatives the second time around for incitement of insurrection on January 6th. While the Senate is busy with impeachment, the House will begin work on the $1.9 trillion stimulus plan President Biden's put forth to get on top of the COVID crisis and restart the economy. As part of that legislation, House Democrats have introduced a plan to give American families $3,000 per child per year. Meanwhile, under Congressman Ryan, the Legislative Branch Subcommittee of the Appropriations Committee, which he chairs, is investigating what went wrong on January 6th, allowing Trump's MAGA mobsters to invade the U.S. Capitol and how to prevent anything like that ever happening again. And as if that's not enough to keep Congressman Ryan busy, he's also seriously considering running for, running for Senate from Ohio in 2022. With so much going on, we were lucky to catch up with Congressman Ryan for today's podcast. Congressman Ryan, good to catch up with you again. Thanks for joining us. Always great to be with you. Thanks so much. So, uh, Congressman, this is uh, day one of the Senate trial, the impeachment of Donald J. Trump, former president. What should happen, in your opinion, and what do you think will happen? Well, I I think we all know probably how this is going to end with the Republicans kind of taking a hard line again uh, on it. So I'm not completely optimistic. Um, But I think I think there's going to be a very clear case presented that um, that Donald Trump incited this uh, riot to happen, this insurrection, this terrorist act. Um, And I I think there's another element, too, that I, I hope that my colleagues present. It's it's that he was he swore an oath to protect the people of the country. And even if you concede all of the points that say, well, maybe he didn't incite them and you just completely bury your head in the sand on that one, because it is very obvious. The other piece is he waited a couple of hours before he did anything to try to stop the insurrection. And by all reports, he was gleefully watching. Right. And so that to me is another count against him. He he violated his oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. When it was clearly under attack, he violated that oath. So you sat through the presentation and the arguments in the House. Uh, you believe that the House managers have a strong case that they're going to present? 
I do. I, I think it's it's pretty clear cut. And and from the recent polling I saw, it seems like pretty close to sixty percent of the American people think it's it's pretty clear cut. Um, and and again, you have uh, him going back into early December, where he basically circled July sixth on the calendar for his supporters, said it's going to be wild. Uh, mm-hmm. Then his you know his entourage there, his family, his his uh, attorney, if you can call. Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in everything everybody said, he condoned it. Then he did it on the sixth. Sent everybody down there. Said he was going to meet him. It's pretty clear cut to me. I mean, this is an easy one, right? Uh, and who thought ever thought right that it would be Liz Cheney, who maybe who who said it best that he summoned the mob, he assembled the mob, and he lit the match, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, kudos, kudos to her, Kinzinger, the 10 who voted uh, to impeach. Um, you know, it's not an easy time to serve in, in public life regardless, but let alone when you're getting death threats and you have to cross your own party. Uh, that takes a good deal of courage. And while I don't agree with those guys on, on many policy issues, I think they, they're to be commended because it's significant what they're doing. Well, and as we know, um, the, all of the members of Congress have learned uh, to juggle and must juggle. So this week, it won't just be the Senate trial. Also, things get underway on the 1.9, uh, shaping the 1.9 stimulus package that President Biden has put forward the Congress. It starts in the House, Congressman. Um, do you think this stimulus is the right size, too big, not big enough? And what about the size of the checks that should be in it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the vice president's not backing down on the $1,400, which would make the $600 and the $1,400, $2,000 payment. Um, I, I personally believe that, that we need to get a couple thousand dollars into people's hands every month until we get out of this. I mean, I just I know so many people that continue to work uh, but make half of what they were making. The economic squeeze is real. Uh, and I think it could be, you know, very, very good for the economy. Um, so I, I think that would be my preference. Having said that, I think getting close to $2 trillion to take care of people is, is a big deal. Um, you know, given the numbers, the narrow numbers in the house and the Senate, I think the help for state and local governments, the help for small businesses, the help for, uh, the one-time payment and the extension of unemployment insurance and making the federal payment about 500 bucks a week. Uh, there's, tw- I think, 25 or $30 billion that's going to be slated for uh, issues around housing. So, uh, you know, in, in rent, uh, so that people don't get evicted and utilities and all of that. So I, I think it's a very comprehensive bill. It's going to do a lot of good you know, it's DC. Nothing's going to be perfect, and nothing of it's nothing's going to be all what I want. But it is significant, and I think it will be very helpful. Do you think the minimum wage should be part of it, raising to fifteen bucks? You know, I, I, I to me, it's like I believe in a fifteen dollar minimum wage, so you want to get it in whenever you can. Uh, yeah. It doesn't sound like it's going to necessarily make it. Um, and I do think we have to be careful on how we run it up, uh, how we, how we, um, move it from where it is now to where it needs to be, given that so many small businesses are under a complete crunch right now. 
um, and, and, and hanging, uh, you know, uh, by a thread to, to even survive. So we've got to be careful on how we do that. And then I also think we need to have regional accommodations. I mean, 15 bucks in New York City is not even enough, you know, uh, yeah. and $15 in rural Ohio or rural Mississippi, you know, could, could be difficult for some businesses to juggle. So how do we help facilitate this with some of these regional disparities um, and helping these small businesses be able to afford it? I think that's that's got to be that nuance has got to be accounted for. You know, for the Republicans, it seems that one of the big sticking points has been help to the to the states, cities and states, but particularly the states. Uh, and yet uh, you sort of can't get on top of COVID without helping the states. Right. Yeah. It's it's unreal. I mean, you know, the the former president's comment always was, you know, these are blue cities, yeah, uh, right. or or we're not here to bail out states' pension funds, which was just those were red herrings that were put up, you know, just to uh, distract, and and you know, no no state was going to get CARES Act money or Heroes Act money or COVID money and put it towards their pension. It wasn't even for that. They couldn't do that if they wanted. It was directly targeted. Um, so these states, they need help. I mean, we, we know we're seeing budget cuts here in Ohio because the lack of revenue coming in for so many of the local governments and state governments. And what are those cuts to? Those are cuts to police and fire, safety service, teachers. Um, those, those, who, those are the people who bear the brunt of a reduction in, in income tax money going into the coffers. Uh, and House Democrats have... Um uh, put forth a, a a new pretty bold proposal too just this week, uh, Congressman, of three thousand dollars for uh, families, American families, per year, every child uh, in America. Something that even Mitt Romney in the Senate uh, has proposed. Um, is this part of the stimulus thing, or or on top of it? And what do you think the chances are? You know, I don't know if it's going to be a part of the broader package. I was reading articles about it. I think it's really important um, because there are these families that are that are really, really struggling with with child care. You know, if you're working at home, your kids are at home, you know, or you got to go to work, but your kids are doing virtual from home schooling. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of additional burdens on families. Uh, but I think this is I think this is well overdue in the United States. And so I'm hopeful, however we can get it passed, whether we can put it into the COVID package or not, uh, I don't know how that procedurally is going to work. But I know the House is very, very committed to doing it. And it, again, this is this is for kids. This is for, for working class families. Uh, I think it's phased out over $150,000 uh, a year. So it really is targeted to those families who are who are working hard, playing by the rules, doing everything right, but they need a little help and help is on the way. Uh, that has been one of the um, the big conversations about this uh, stimulus package, Congressman, which is how do you define middle class, right? I mean, where do you cut it off? Uh, I mean, you are very much uh, uh, represent working class families, working class <laughs> Americans, Youngstown, Ohio, right? What do you think is the cutoff, right, for if you're talking about middle class American families today? You know, it's, again, like we've got to be sophisticated enough in the United States to identify these regional disparities. Again, 
if you're making $150,000 and you live in New York City or you live in San Francisco or you live in LA or you live in Boston or a variety of other cities, that's not, that's, you're barely keeping your nose above water with $150,000 a year for a household. Where if you're living in Youngstown, Ohio, or, you know, Milwaukee, or, you know, some other place, $150,000 is a, is a good solid, uh, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we've got to, you know, this, this all kind of gets back to a, a bigger theme we got to start addressing is when we talk about the government needs updated, you know, going back to Bill Clinton and Al Gore, like, we need a reinventing government. I mean, we can't continue to just think there's one size fits all for everything that we do. We've got to modernize the government. I mean, look at these unemployment fiascos that are going on around getting checks out to people around this country, different states. And there's people in Ohio still haven't gotten their unemployment check. I mean, it's insane how we don't know who needs it and we can't quickly turn it around in a modern age. I mean, you can get 15 boxes shipped to your house within two days from Amazon and you can't get an unemployment check or you can't get help when you're unemployed in the middle of a pandemic. So when you're talking about minimum wage and the disparities, when you're talking about unemployment insurance, when you're talking about, you know, some of these, you know, thresholds for programs, we've got to be a little more sophisticated today. And I, I would hope that Democrats, see, this has been my frustration for a long time. I think that Republicans consistently uh, bash the government, and they've won this argument over the last 40 years, that government can't do anything right. Then they defund it to make sure that it doesn't do anything right. And then sometimes I wish the Democrats would just stop defending the status quo. Like, we could defend the values of a program. We could defend the principles behind the program and the end results. But we're still not delivering you know, for the American people like we should. And that means we've got to have a huge modernization and imagination around government programs and and how they work and how effective they actually are. Some are very effective, some aren't, but we, it's got to be a more sophisticated operation today than it, than it has been in the past. Uh, and make it uh, work better. Uh, so the big question in the Senate, back to the, on, on the overall stimulus, uh, Congressman, you got the votes in the House. In the Senate, uh, it's going to be uh, a lot tougher. And the question there is, okay, do we take our time to try to line up Republicans, Republican support, make it a bipartisan bill, or do we just, you know, go right forward and barge through through reconciliation? What's your advice? Well, I, I'm, I'm my my problem, Bill, is I have the the scars. <laughs> from 2009 and 10 and uh, Mitch McConnell trying to make Barack Obama one-term president and, and watching the Republicans slow walk uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act. Right. So there's not a lot of trust there. And I think that the vice president, the president now, what he's doing is, is, is correct. We need $1.9 trillion. And we've got to do it because that's what's needed. And, and, and we're not going to just compromise the right solution be in the, in the, uh, with the idea of trying to build unity. There will be a lot of other issues we can work on with Republicans. If they want to try to do what they did last time and make this not significant enough, if they're all of a sudden going to be fiscal conservatives and fiscal hawks after the atrocious record they have over the last four years, you can let them go try to do that. 
But at the end result, you got to deliver for the American people. And I think this bill will allow us to deliver for the American people. And I hope that we follow this up with another one and a half or two trillion dollars in infrastructure spending, start rebuilding the country, get everybody back to work and get the economy going. And I think, you know, they can get on board with that. And, I, and, and so there'll be other opportunities to work with them. But if they're going to get in the way, we need to do the reconciliation, pass the $1.9 trillion and get that relief to the American people. And then they will reward Joe Biden and Democrats because we delivered for them when they needed it. And they will see the Republicans as trying to get in the way, get in the uh, way of that. It is ironic to see the sudden born again fiscal conter- fiscal conservatives, <laughs> I know. right? I, mean, I know. Yeah, yeah. Where have they been? <laughs> so, uh, for but you you just mentioned a word before we move on that I haven't heard. Uh, we heard a lot about uh, in the beginning of the Trump administration, and they forgot about it. And that is infrastructure. By the way, the need has not gone away, has it? And is there a chance now? You think to come together? Uh, on rebuilding America's infrastructure? I do. I do. I think, I think, you know, once we get through, get the vaccine up and running um, and distributed more effectively and get the COVID package out so people have their unemployment and all the rest, I think we need to move on infrastructure um, this summer and, uh, you know, maybe late spring, summer, and into the fall and get, get that, get that money out the door We've got these. Pro- we got to modernize the country. We've got to rebuild the country. Um, and we we've let this pass for decades now. And it's nobody's fault that it that it you know that the, the wear and tear on our nation's infrastructure, and that includes water lines and sewer lines, uh, you know, rail, airports. You know, we need to be a modern country. Uh, and we can do that. And I think it could be a huge uh, stimulus for the economy, create, you know, millions of jobs for, for middle class people. And then I think we actually need an extended, um, you know, infrastructure investment where every year we're putting money into our nation's infrastructure. So in five, 10, 15 years, we're, we are consistently keeping people working, but they're not working in jobs that are handouts, they're working to rebuild the country. Broadband, we're seeing what the, the digital divide uh, and how significant it is for rural communities and urban communities for kids now trying to learn from home. What a big disadvantage they're at. Those, those are investments that we'll, we'll make 10 times every, for every dollar we, we uh, lay out for, for things like broadband because of the economic impact. And now you look at more and more people that are, are want to locate their businesses outside of the big commercial real estate properties in big cities. That opens up so many small and mid-sized towns across the country for economic investment. But if they mm-hmm. don't have broadband and high-speed internet and all the rest, they're not going to be on the menu for those companies who are looking to go somewhere. I mean, you think about it, not to get on a complete rant here, but I represent enough small little towns and villages that a company that with backroom, you know, operations uh, for a major company, 100, 200, 300 decent paying jobs is a huge shot in the arm for a small town. It increases their general revenue. The school district makes money. So to disperse and diffuse some of these huge uh, investments, private investments to small and mid-sized towns across the country would be significant in rebuilding the middle class. I think we should do something with 
with uh, government jobs. There's 300,000 government jobs in Washington, D.C., and you got high housing prices. You got crowded street uh, roads. Uh, and, and, and I think you could why couldn't you take 10 percent of those jobs and now do them virtually and put 500 of them in Youngstown, Ohio, or 1,000 in Toledo of people making 60, 70, 80 grand a year. You know, that would be a huge shot in the arm for these towns. And so you could put 1,000 jobs in 30 towns or 500 jobs in 60 different towns across the country and, and start rebuilding. And the government should take the lead on that. Uh, and we've learned through the pandemic, right, that you can do most of these jobs almost uh, anywhere. We're talking with yeah. Congressman look, Tim Ryan. Look, look, look at you, Bill. You haven't taken off your, your PJ <laughs> pants in months. <laughs> do it from home. Here we are. Congressman, <laughs> Congressman Tim Ryan representing Ohio's 13th Congressional District, our guest here today on the Bill Press Pod. A quick break, and then we'll be right back. Today's podcast brought to you by the Labor's International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, a real powerhouse among America's workers under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan. Over half a million strong active in the construction field, building new schools, office buildings, and rebuilding our roads, bridges, and infrastructure. Active in the energy field, building uh, solar panels and uh, wind turbines and old-fashioned pipelines. And uh, 70,000 public employees, members of the Labor's Union, who are healthcare workers and postal workers. We salute all the members of the Labor's Union uh, and thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at liuna.org, L I U N A.org. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
And we're back with Congressman uh, Tim Ryan. Among uh, other responsibilities he has on the Hill, uh, he is the chair of the Legislative Branch Subcommittee of the Appropriations Committee under Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, chair. Uh, so, Congressman, in, uh, Congressman, in that particular, uh, your subcommittee, um, you are looking at what happened on January 6th and why and how it could be prevented. So, I mean, we suddenly saw a, ca- a building that we all thought was one of the most secure in the world invaded by this mob unleashed by Donald Trump. How did it happen? Well, lack of uh, preparation uh, on behalf of the both the Capitol Police uh, and the uh, National Guard and, and Sergeant at Arms. I think it gets, you know, we're, we're trying to unveil exactly what happened. Um, but we think it was, you know, within the Sergeant at Arms Capitol Police. And potentially we're also looking at what was the relationship with the Secretary of Defense, the Department of Army, uh, in other interactions between them and the D.C. National Guard. We've got a, a lot to look at, um, but it was it's seeming like a part of this anyway was people didn't like the way it was going to look. And that is completely unacceptable because we didn't like the way it looked, you know, without having a, a, a real strong uh, law enforcement presence there. It looked a lot worse than it would have looked if we had a few thousand National Guard troops there to protect should they have known that uh, there was possible trouble, including people trying to break into the building? Yeah, I mean, you know, everybody knew about it. And we talked about earlier what the president said and, and uh, the social media chatter and, and all of that. And, you know, to not to not be prepared for the worst case scenario is, is unacceptable, which is why the chief of the Capitol Police uh, resigned, and so did the head of the sergeant-at-arms. So um, it was a big screw-up. It was a big screw-up. Will your committee be making recommendations on how to prevent such an incident happening again? Yeah, so we're working very closely. Uh, Speaker Pelosi appointed General Honoré, who uh, was a distinguished uh, veteran um, and uh, served this country very well, came in and cleaned up of the issues around Katrina. Um, and so he has some experience with these kind of things. He's got a, he's got a great team he's assembled and to really help us prepare for, you know, what, what does the Capitol look like now? Uh, you know, we still want it to be accessible, but we also want to make sure that people are safe, visitors who come are safe, but that people can also express their First Amendment rights to their government. Uh, and so he's taken the lead on that. I've been working very closely with him, and he, he's doing a very good job, very thorough job. And we'll have some recommendations uh, probably in, in March at some point. Uh, it may be too early to answer this, but, you know, we know that after the fact, uh, after the 6th of January, uh, suddenly a fence goes up, not just around the Capitol building, but around the entire Capitol, the uh, House buildings, the Senate buildings, the Library of Congress, the Folger Library, the Supreme Court, the entire Capitol grounds, all 58 acres. The Capitol Police say it, that fence is up and it's got and it should stay, Congressman. Will it? I don't think it'll stay forever. Uh, I think it needs to stay up. Is until we get a game plan together and get the resources necessary to be able to protect the capital in a way that it needs to be protected. 
And we don't have that right now. We also have uh, 2,000 Capitol Police uh, rank and file members um, who are absolutely exhausted. Um, you know, they were working 12 hour shifts from before January 6th, uh, went through January 6th and then had to immediately get prepared for the inauguration. Uh, so they're burnt out. And that's why I think we got to keep defense up. We've got to keep some national guard presence there to allow them to get home and see their families, to get some sleep, you know, to maybe get some counseling if they need it. Um, and then, and then help us get a game plan together moving forward. Uh, but I, my, my hunch is that the, the fence will not be there forever, but it'll be there to help us until we are able to have a real strategy moving forward. And I think that's in the best interest of everybody. Do you know yet, Congressman, whether uh, with the National Guard uh, that they were asked for ahead of time or they were asked for during the event and turned down by the Defense Department. There's all this finger pointing back and forth. Even Governor Larry Hogan from Maryland has gotten involved in this. Do we know who is responsible that the Guard was not there or not there sooner? Well, there were 340 National Guard, D.C. National Guard that were there, um, primarily doing traffic um, so that they could free up the police officers to do their thing. Um, and no, I mean, not, not even close to being enough. I mean, to think that 340, uh, were going to be anywhere close to what we need is ridiculous. Uh, we should have had thousands teed up there ready to go. Um, and, and so we're trying to, we're trying to really figure out exactly what was happening. And, and we know that now that the, it sounds like the chief of police is saying the, the former chief of police is saying that he requested more national guard, but that the police advisory board, Capitol police board shot him down. He asked a couple times. And, uh, and so we're trying to get minutes of meetings, uh, you know, letters or whatever of, of how that was said and what was going on. So, you know, we're, we're trying to get to the bottom of that and, and we will, and, uh, and whoever is, you know, responsible will be held accountable. So politics always comes up with lots of surprises. A big surprise uh, about a week ago when your junior senator from Ohio, Rob Portman, announced uh, he was not going to run for re-election uh, in 2022, which opens up a Senate seat in Ohio. Hmm. Something you might be looking at, Congressman? Uh, yeah, no, let, we, let me just ask you flat out. Are you going to run for Senate? We, we're not going to make news here, Bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, we're looking at it very, very closely. You know, we're, uh, you know, we're excited about the opportunity here in Ohio. We've not held that seat for decades. Uh, Portman's had it for a couple of terms. And before that, George Voinovich had it. Um, so, you know, we were excited and we think that with the right candidate and the right message, uh, we can win that seat back. So I'm, I'm very, very, uh, interested in it. Uh, and we're looking at it real closely and, uh, you know, uh, stay tuned. I mean, we're going to try to, yeah. you know, make a decision here in the coming weeks. What are the, what are the factors, uh, that will be part of your decision, Congressman? Well, like they always are, I'm, I'm, uh, vice chair of the defense appropriations committee that took me 18 years to get that level of seniority and have that level right. of impact and bringing back lots of money to Ohio and my congressional district. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be checking out of family life pretty much for 18 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, we've got a 18 year old, a 16 year old and a, and a six and a half year old. So, um, that would shift a good deal of the burden onto my wife, um, for the next 18 months. Um, and so you try to balance that with thinking, okay, if I run and I win, I got a six year term and not a two year term. And I'm one of a hundred, not 435. And I could do a lot more. To, to make a difference in my, you know, my state, you, you just got to balance like everybody does when they get a, you know, potentially another job opportunity, you weigh all those things. And, uh, and that's what we're doing now. And just talking through if it makes sense for the family um, in the short, mid and long term. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on all of that. Have you given yourself a, a timeline or a deadline for when you want to make a decision? I mean, in the coming weeks, I mean, it's still early February, you know, so I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to jump the gun one way or the other. Uh, but I will say, you know, it needs to be sooner rather than later because, uh, it is Ohio. Uh, we didn't do well in this past election. We've got to rebuild the state party and put together a, a sophisticated political operation, uh, you know, for the next 18 months. So we've got to get busy on that. So uh, I think a decision needs to be made fairly soon. Uh, as a former uh, state Democratic chair of California, I'm glad to hear you recognize the importance in terms of organizing for the state party. It's important to have that state party uh, strong and, and active. Yeah. And finally, Congressman, on that point, uh, and you sort of indicated, you know, Ohio has this reputation for being like almost Lucy and the football for Democrats, right? We're always hopeful Joe Biden was going to bring Ohio back and then you know, it doesn't happen. You think it's uh, in the cards for Ohio to turn blue? I do. I do. We, we've got to have a different message. Now, the, the Biden team, to their credit, quite frankly, didn't play much in Ohio. They were focused on the Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, which ended up paying off uh, grandly for everybody. Um, so there, there wasn't a whole lot of investment here. Look, it's a, it's an industrial Midwestern state, uh, in which means you, you have communities that have been devastated economically. Uh, our economy here in Ohio wasn't good, uh, before the pandemic. I think our job numbers were the same. They were in like 2009, uh, the, the working class here has been taking it on the chin for a while. There's been no comprehensive national or state program to plug these, these communities back in, and as we've talked about a lot um, over the years. You know, globalization and automation, yeah, I mean, globalization generates wealth, as the economists say, in the aggregate. Well, you know, in the <laughs> aggregate is great, yeah. but there's always, right. there's always communities who aren't you know, we're on the bottom half of, of the aggregate. And and that's Youngstown and Akron and Toledo and Steubenville and East Liverpool and Portsmouth and, and Lima, you know, Dayton. So in these industrial states, so you've got to have a campaign that just full-throated economic campaign on, on how we rebuild the middle class, how we take care of pensions. You don't hear a whole lot about pensions. I mean, we're going to do some pension reform work now, but for years and years, you didn't hear any politician talk about pensions when that could potentially be one of the number one issues for a place like Ohio, because so many people have lost their pension. Uh, pensions got cut in half. Wages are stagnant. Health care isn't what it should be. 
It's expensive to get your kids to school. There's not a lot of opportunity around manufacturing jobs, building things again. So if we have that kind of message, we can win here. Sherrod Brown won here in 2018. His numbers were down a bit, uh, but he won here because Sherrod talks about consistently uh, the dignity of work, not just, oh, if you get a if you get a college degree, the meritocracy, and then you can then you can do something with your life. How about all these people now that are making the world go round in the middle of a pandemic, you know, that don't have a college degree? There's dignity in that work. There's dignity in the woman checking you out at Aldi's in the middle of a pandemic or March or Giant Eagle or wherever you're doing your grocery shopping. You got to speak to those people, Bill. And we, we've mm-hmm. not as a party. I think Biden has more so than anybody else, kid from Scranton. So, you know, if, if it's that kind of campaign, we can win Ohio again. And I think we will. That sounds like the winning message. And finally, Congress, I've got to say it's been just about two weeks only. But um, so far, uh, what kind of a grade would you give Joe Biden in the White House? I think he's doing great. I think he's doing great. I mean, uh, you know, A minus just because I don't know what an A plus would even look like. But, I, you know, I think he's, he's got some he's got some great appointments, very competent, very thoughtful rollout to everything. Um, you know, I think he's holding the line on the on the covid bill, uh, not taking the bait on the Republican uh, issues around what the Republicans are saying. He's taking the temperature down in the country. Uh, I think people feel good that he's there and that he's stable. Um, so I, I give him an A minus. You know, don't tell Ron Klain it was an A minus. He'll be mad at me. But, <laughs> but I think they're doing a great job. Hey, good to spend time with you, Congressman. And when you uh, when you uh, finalize your plans, we'll talk again. Absolutely, you got all it. Right. Take care, Bill. Thanks so much, Congressman. Alrighty. And thank you all for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, thanks especially to Congressman Tim Ryan. And uh, once he uh, officially announces he's running for Senate, I'm sure we'll come back and talk to Tim Ryan about his message for the people of Ohio. That's it for today. We'll be back with a roundtable on Friday. In the meantime, please stay strong, stay safe. If you haven't already done so, subscribe, please, to the Bill Press Pod by going to wherever you're listening to this podcast. Pull up Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. Take care of yourself. We want to see you soon again on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.